Is God a cultural warrior? Is speaking up at school board meetings a Christian thing to do? Those are questions being debated in Christian circles lately, and we're going to tackle them today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. All right, we're starting out today with literally a billion-dollar question because we have learned about this interesting donation that is being billed as the largest ever single gift donated to a policy-oriented nonprofit organization. We are talking about some $1.6 billion that a wealthy businessman has now uh, dropped down to benefit the Federalist Society. Which, if you're not familiar with this group, it is largely credited with the strategy and research behind our country now having a majority of conservative Supreme Court justices. And I can't wait to hear what you're thinking about this, Victoria. Well, I think they're a great group because that's how we got Amy Coney Barrett and some of these other great Supreme Court justices. So I, I, you know, I'm excited that it came to our side because usually these big gifts, you know, if you think about the Planned Parenthood money that's been flowing lately. Um, But it did it did really make me think about as the head of a nonprofit policy organization, you know, that often we get challenges leaders, do we think big enough? Do we dream big enough? And I really started thinking about what would you do with that kind of a gift? So we had a little discussion with our staff about if you had 1.6 billion to the family foundation, what what would you do with it? And it was kind of a fun yeah. conversation. Victoria started daydreaming. Yeah. I mean, well, because, you know, you do the if you ever won the lottery, even though you yeah. don't play the lottery, you know, it's like what would happen? It was our version of of that, which was kind of fun. Well, I personally said that I would like to reproduce our new grassroots manager, Eli, in about 30 different places. So that was my big daydream. And you had kind of a more sophisticated version of that, if you want to share real quick. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd love us to be able to to have people that are in grassroots, that are in pastor ministry, working with our pastors and even some development folks in every area of the state. So I just wanted a few more people in all the regions yeah. of the Commonwealth. So covering the state, that would be awesome. But I think the best idea of the day came from Catherine. Catherine, will you share with us? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as you guys shared a couple of weeks ago, we recently got canceled off of our database. Um, and I was saying I would purchase that database back so that it's now owned by a group that d- doesn't care that we have conservative values. And then we wouldn't have to go through the pain of moving to a new database. Which I think someone accused you of being like Elon Musk because, yeah. you know, buying Twitter and all that. Well, yeah. buying and backing out of. I don't know what he's doing right Catherine now. Catherine would do an Elon Musk move, basically. <laughs> it's a good one. Sometimes there's a place for that, you know? All right. Well, today's topic is kind of different for us because we're usually dealing with hot button issues, breaking in the news or what's happening in the General Assembly. But today we thought it'd be good to kind of take a step back for a change and address a larger debate right now happening in a lot of Christian circles and churches. And this is about when and if believers in Jesus should get engaged in the culture war. And just to give some kind of context here, this kind of all came to a head a few weeks ago with some editorials in some pretty big national outlets. There was one in the New York Times called The God I Know is Not a Cultural Warrior. And then Christianity Today featured an editorial called Don't Run for the School Board. Education is important, but the answer lies in family discipleship, not culture wars. That was kind of their subhead. 
And then you had Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And, you know, he's really considered one of the most respected biblical worldview speakers, thinkers that we have out there today. He jumped into the fray and weighed into all of it. So, Victoria, I really would love to hear how you are digesting all of this whole debate going on. All right. Well, I got to start with the article about don't run for the school board. Um, These articles make me crazy, first of all, because um, the basic premise is you can't walk and chew gum at the same time, that you can't disciple your family and also engage in culture. That's absurd. We know that, in fact, that is actually the call. All of the above is the call. And yes, that's a a high calling, but I think, you know, he's worthy, right? So um, that was a frustrating article to me. And I think it's the easy route. And I, I so I get frustrated because I think the easy route is non-engagement and to find some biblical justification for non-engagement, right? You know, what's the comfortable thing and how do we sort of justify that path? So I just, I was I was not a fan, of course, of the, the same article that Al Mohler was clearly not a fan of. His response, I thought, was great. He, you know, he hit several points and we can sort of talk through them. But, um, you know, the first one was really that, Christians didn't pick this culture war. We didn't start this. It came to us. It's it's on us. It's it's not a proactive, you know, effort we're making to change, you know, all these things. It's it's actually the opposite. And so I appreciated that point. He of course gave some very good biblical justification for engagement and we can sort of talk through that cuz I think there's a lot there. Um but also he just noted the issues we're dealing with, what the culture war is about is so fundamental that to avoid it is it, it's not a small issue. He's talking about the actual design of the family and the entire what how do you protect children in a society? These are big issues and his point is non-engagement on issues that are so crucial to your whole society is would be destructive. Yeah, and I feel like I do hear this discussion coming up in my own church and in Bible studies. And what I hear a lot of times Christians saying as they try to wrestle with this are things like, well, you know, we don't need to try to take over the government. That's not the solution here. But that always inside that always kind of disturbs me because I'm thinking, well, what are you really saying when you say we shouldn't be taking over the government? I mean, I thought we are the government (laughs) in America. It's we the people. You know, and are you saying we shouldn't take over ourselves because we are the government? So it's it's just there's something wrong with that logic. Yeah, you have an incredibly important point. This is not any form of government that we sit in in America. We actually absolutely our system is built on people engaging. So if it is and we don't engage, the only people engaging are those that oppose our values. And that that literally is the way the founding fathers set it up. So it's a it's and it's sad that people say that because I think they've gotten to the point where we're so comfortable and we take so for granted the amazing system that is built, that we have that opportunity. Um, I don't think we would say that if we were in North Korea and, you know, we would just go, oh, yeah, it's great that somebody's in charge and we just sit back and no. Or even France. You know, we have a unique system. And I think this is a symptom of taking it for granted. And to not engage, to me, is actually squandering a blessing that we have as Americans. You know, there is the whole Benjamin Franklin quote, it's a republic if you can keep it. Yeah, and, I, you know, we... we encourage pastors to talk about this this particular stewardship issue because we pastors all the time talk about stewarding the financial resources that God's given you that's that's very comfortable in the pulpit but this is a blessing and a resource that we've been given and we really we want to help people understand that 
in the way you would any other blessing that you've been given by God. But also, you know, I hear a lot of people, their excuse for non-engagement is the partisan messiness. You know, I just, I listen to the Democrats and they make me, you know, want to cringe. I listen to the Republicans, they make me want to cringe. Um, we can't take the flawed system and use that as an excuse not to try to engage, right? Like, I can appreciate the feeling there, but that's not how God calls us. You don't, And you don't even, not all engagement is even through parties, as we know with speak up teams and things we're doing here in Virginia. They're issue related things. It's saying you don't want to get involved in politics because it's messy is the equivalent of saying you won't go to church because of sinners. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point, Catherine. In our speak up teams, we are focused on parental rights, defending life, you know, those kind of issues. That's what's mobilizing people. And impact on government is almost a secondary, you know, outcome of that because we're focused on the biblical principles. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. Um, But since you bring up the politics part of that, people feeling like it's messy, I do want to bring up another sensitive issue that I keep hearing about, and that that is this term Christian nationalism, Christian nationalists being thrown around a lot, and a lot of times it's thrown around pejoratively toward conservatives. Um, what do you th- what are your thoughts around that term? Well, yeah, I've definitely heard the um, a lot of people being lumped into that bucket, and I think that's a convenient bucket to try to uh, marginalize the voice of people who do care about this country. Um, I agree that there can be this thing that takes over where people do idolize the country, they put it ahead of their faith. You can see that sometimes. There's more Fox News than Bible happening. That's not what we're looking for. But, I, you know, I had this this pastor talking about it, and he was very uh, opposed to Christian nationalism. But he went so far as to say where you're born is, is an accidental He literally used the word accidental, I forget, it's a philosophical term, but the whole point is nothing is accidental with God, first of all. So I was really offended by, you know, it's a weird theological view to talk about things as an accident, but also, yeah, you got born in one of the most free nations in the whole wide world. Why? And it has brought so much human flourishing, not just in America, but we spread it around the globe in many, many ways and have throughout history. Why would you not act like that's a big deal and try to preserve that. I'm a Christian and I'm patriotic. I mean, I think that's when you hear nationalists, you almost think of Nazi Germany where people were putting just a blind idolatry form of worship for country to the point where they're violating basic biblical ethics. And so we don't want to ever get to this nationalist point in the in the sense of having idolatry where we are putting we are adoring a leader above God and we're willing to follow that person off a cliff to do wrong things um but being a Christian being patriotic is good well when Uh, I think of my patriotism what I'm the things I'm proud of my country for are things like religious freedom that we get to spread the gospel freely that's maybe maybe it looks like i'm just happy about a country but it's actually those fundamental principles that i think deeply connect to our faith which is i get to share the word of god anywhere i go and i'm not going to be thrown in prison that's why i stand for the flag and that's you know and so i think it's what we're talking about we're standing for a flag that represents an idea judeo-christian principles yeah 
And I think it's important to note that um, when we talk about Christian engagement, sort of the combination of this patriotism and engagement discussion we're having, um, we're not talking about Christians taking over the government and creating a theocracy. And sometimes people get confused and they think we want to engage and we're over patriotic because we want to turn everyone else by force into a Christian, abiding by every little piece of scripture. And I think we have to help you understand, no, we're talking about preserving religious freedom so that, yes, Christians can thrive and Christianity can thrive, but not in, you know, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing um, in, in the gospel message that is by force. And so I think we have to do have to clarify that sometimes because I think people get the wrong idea. There's one other thing in this school board article I really didn't like, and I just have to comment on it, which is they basically said schools are a reflection of your culture. So when our culture was more Christian, the schools were better. But now, of course, our culture is more secular, and the schools are now reflecting that. That is totally backwards in my mind. And maybe it's a chicken and egg, which one comes first, but you create your culture by how you train up your children. And then they come out as leaders and they go in a certain direction. I absolutely disagree that your, that your schools are just a, you know, it's just like whatever happens, happens because that's how it is out there. That's terrible. That is an excellent point. Well, I really think one of the most powerful points that Al Mohler made in his commentary on all of this through his podcast, The Briefing, was that engaging in the culture on these life and family issues is actually part of the Bible's command to love your neighbor. Yeah, this is something we share a lot because people think of loving your neighbor as being kind and polite and if they get sick, bring them a casserole. And it is all that. In fact, I said this literally in a meeting yesterday with um, folks. It is all that. But imagine that you could love your neighbor in a way that you could affect a lot of neighbors all at the same time. If we truly believe God's principles work and they work, they are as real as the law of gravity, you that what is in scripture is the path to human flourishing, then not sharing it is literally looking at your neighbor who is poor on the street holding a sign saying, I need food. And you're walking away because you know there's a better way that that person could flourish and you're choosing to not engage. To me, that's actually sinful. <laughs> yeah, you are withholding the salt and the light within you from that public sphere. And yes, I agree. Uh, we will be held accountable for that because we can look around us every day, even in this city, and see the results of not having that light, not having that law. And just the other day, we had this horrible news story right here in the Richmond area where it, it appears what happens is a young woman was taken by her boyfriend to an abortion center to end the life of their child. And she decided the last second, I don't want to do this and walked out of the abortion facility. And just a day later, she is found brutally shot to death. And now the guy involved, apparently the guy in this situation has been arrested, so he's a suspect. Um, you know, are we to not look at that and speak into, you know, speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, both the unborn child and the mother in this situation, and the fact that a lot of times these abortion clinics are ignoring cases like this where there is an abusive man in the background pressuring the woman? Yeah, I mean, I think scripture is pretty clear about literally the verse about speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. So to not engage in and this this issue, I mean, obviously, this story gets directly to coerced abortion policy and things like that, because that is a real thing. We sh we we literally tried to pass legislation dealing with coerced abortion. Why do we have waiting periods? Because we're trying to help people reach a good decision together, not you know, to not have these kind of tragic situations. And so it's amazing this woman was brave enough to not go through with her abortion, obviously knowing this boyfriend had strong opinions, but it's devastating that we, you know, public policy can prevent crime, can prevent, I mean, it literally right. good policy 
can actually, you know, murder rates change based on who's in charge of cities and what are the decisions made around that. And so you sit there and think, this is tragic. It doesn't need to happen if we can get some good policies. And we're one of the worst areas as well for sex trafficking. Again, it would be wrong not to advocate for good policy in that area and love our neighbor. Lots of girls that are enslaved through that. Um, I got to think about the public schools where you have 60 million kids in public schools, the majority of school age kids in that setting that are often daily exposed to sexually explicit, even obscene content They're, that are being led in a lot of cases along this path to rejecting their God given gender in a way that could lead them to permanently physically alter themselves to the point where they could be at risk, you know, within women's case to not be able to have kids. I, I mean, we can't just morally stand by and watch, right? Well, I think there's a little verse about a millstone around the neck of those that allow children. I mean, think about how serious Jesus takes the care of children in Scripture. And to so yeah. then for us to do nothing while this is happening seems like that would be really exactly the opposite of what Jesus was calling us to do there. So, yeah, I think when there is real harm and danger involved, we are to engage. You know, and I'll go back to another good point that Al Mohler had made in his commentary, and that is that even if you're choosing to sit on the sidelines or just kind of focusing on your specific family and hoping it all kind of the chaos all kind of floats by, um, it, it's not going to float by. The culture war is going to hit you whether you are asking for it or not. And all we have to do is look at these things that have been happening repeatedly in our state just in the last few weeks. I mean, we saw this news that a Virginia nurse practitioner was fired from working at CVS, a major um, pharmacy, after refusing to prescribe medicines that are likely that can cause abortions. Um, I don't think this nurse, this nurse practitioner, was thinking about waging a culture war, but she's in the middle of it, whether she likes it or not. This is just the thing. I think that people think that non-engagement means you can neutrally walk through your life. And the reality of where we are as a culture is you are going to be asked to do something that is a proaction, a proactive activity that violates your faith, prescribing abortifacients. Or, for example, I can't help but think about the counselors with these kids that are gender confused and the state yeah. is still telling them you can only counsel them towards, towards confusion, not away from and towards what God has designed for them. So everyone at some point is starting to get hit with these questions. So you don't necessarily want to be a culture warrior, but you're going to have to be if you're not prepared to violate your own faith. The truth is we are getting to the point in our culture where you can't be neutral. I mean, with all that's happening, you can't just focus on your own little family, your own little sphere, and hope that all this chaos just kind of floats over you. No, it's going to invade your space, and you're going to have to take a stand one way or the other on the biblical issues that you believe, that you follow. Are you going to stand for those? It, it is going to hit our families, our children. I mean, just to give another example, Victoria, there's the case that we're handling with our Founding Freedoms Law Center, where uh, it involves a Christian married couple that's been told that they can't participate in foster care because of their biblical beliefs. Yeah. I mean, this is the bottom line is any space in this culture is going to be impacted by 
bad policy and beliefs, and Christians are going to have to decide how that affects them. And so I think the most important thing is we got to stop writing these articles where we judge each other in the in, within the church about how we handle these things. I, I just I don't find those helpful. I think the redeeming thing, and I think we've taken this approach with the Family Foundation, let's just work together to actually restore culture, to actually try to put things back together as they were intended that will protect our kids and will help our families flourish. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't want to end on a down note and all this is really sobering to talk about. So let's just end with that. What are some encouraging tips or just some general encouragement you can give to people listening right now? Let's just cover one. How can they respond when they hear other Christians, whether they mean to or not, sort of saying things that that discourage public engagement? And two, how can we model Jesus' love when we're at something like a, a school board meeting in the midst of engaging our culture? Well, I think, first of all, everything you hear, you have to bring back to Scripture. Does disengagement sound consistent with what God has for us? So when they hear those discouraging things, I think they just have to recognize the Scripture says otherwise. And then I think they need to be willing to—I think people really have to decide in their heart of hearts before this hits their, their own personal situation, I, where is their line? I am not going to act in accordance with the secular culture when it comes for me. I'm willing to stand. And I think you need to do that before it happens to you, because when it happens, it's hard. If you talk to these people that are caught up in losing their jobs over this. So I think we have to resolve in ourselves, where is our line? And then I think we come together and we realize we can engage in a very winsome, proactive, positive way. It doesn't have to look like it can look on television when people are doing political fights. It, it really is about sharing the light of Jesus and the positive vision we have for families. And I, I think yeah. that people can be a part of that and they want to be a part of that when it's productive and and not done in a secular, unwholesome way. Yeah, you can speak a message of hope. God actually has a plan for us to thrive with our families, with our children, um, that this is a plan of hope that a lot of people don't know about. They, they are lost in darkness and confusion. So I think we can we can reflect that at these school board meetings and other things. And really, I think engaging is a reflection. You can think about it in humility terms of Jesus was humble enough to sacrifice his life. You know, there is sacrifice in that, that we're sacrificing our right to be comfortable, you know, in engaging in the culture and loving others. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.